Hi, I'm Dennis Hester, and I'm the pastor here at First Baptist Church Watauga, and we are grateful that you have tuned in to listen to these messages, either through our podcast or on our website. And as you listen to these, our prayer is that you would hear the Lord speak to you from His Holy Word. If you're interested in learning more about the church, you can get on our website at fbcwatauga.org. From there, there's a place where you can plan a visit, you can learn more about our beliefs. You can also request prayer through the prayer request page. We'd love to hear from you. Uh, we'd love to get to know you. The most important thing that I'd communicate to you is as you listen to God's Word, that you find a place to get plugged into a local congregation, whether it's here at First Baptist or another local church where you live. If you'd like information or would like us to help you find a church home, uh, we'd love to talk to you about that. And you can contact us through our Facebook page. So God bless you as you listen to His Word, and may the Lord encourage you in your walk. Father's Day is one of those days that uh, creates a lot of time for reflection for us. And for me, it's, uh, you know, reflect on uh, my role as a father, how God has uh, uh, worked in me and worked through me and things that have happened in my life. It reminds me of my dad who passed away just over five years ago and think about what an impact he had on my life. And one of the things that uh, as I thought through as we were coming to today's message was just how different fatherhood was than what I expected. Uh, w one of the very easiest ways to illustrate this is, you know, Susan and I, as uh, we begin to walk through those months of uh, pregnancy, and I say we because if you're married, the pregnancy affects you too, all right? Not to the same extent that it does your spouse, but as we walked through those months and, and struggled through, you know, her morning sickness and all day sickness early on, and it, we, we reached a point of great expectation. Uh, we uh, painted a nursery. We, you know, got everything set up, had the uh, Mickey Mouse was our theme, and so we had the Disney characters all over the room, and, and you know, when that exciting day came, when, when Susan finally goes into labor and we go to the hospital, we had nothing but, but joy-filled thoughts in our minds of what it was going to be like as that precious child, our daughter, we knew, was going to come into the world. And, uh, and of course, those of you that know our story know that uh, what we had expected is not what happened. Uh, Katie was born on July the 29th of 1989 with many uh, issues, with some uh, birth defects, some of which were life-threatening. She had to be care-flighted in those uh, uh, immediate hours from Abilene uh, Hendrick Medical Center in Abilene to uh, Children's Medical Center here in Fort Worth. And I rode in the back of the airplane with her. And I... Uh, and was, she was in an ICU bed on that airplane. And, and so our dreams, our hopes, our plans of what we thought it was going to be like were completely taken away. And our life was completely turned upside down. Because the truth is, we really don't know what tomorrow holds. And we don't know what our life is going to be like. I titled uh, today's message... How to manage expectations. Going along with our theme of practical Christianity, we're in James chapter 4, uh, verse 13 through 17 today as we continue to walk through James' practical teaching and how to live out the Christian life. And uh, I could have just as easily uh, titled this message, uh, How to uh, Make Plans in God's Way, uh, or something along those lines. 
because but, but, but the reason I, I felt this was important is I think one of the things that gets us in trouble most often is when we have one set of expectations of what is going to happen. We, have a, we, we expect something specific and it doesn't work out our way. Then we end up disappointed, heartbroken, and frustrated. Now, Susan knows this about me. That's, that's one of the biggest things that I struggle with. You know, if, if, if we plan on going somewhere or, or, you know, there's a promise, you know, hey, we're going to do this tonight or, hey, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to come home and we're going to do this and it doesn't work out, sometimes I can be the biggest baby in the world. And, and I've learned to realize it's just because I realize that I, I have this expectation of what something's going to be like and, and it doesn't happen my way in my timetable. And when it doesn't happen, that's when I get most upset because of unmet expectations. Well, James talks to the church about this, and he's going to deal with it uh, here in James chapter 4. Uh, let's read the text. The scripture says, come now, you who say, today or tomorrow we will travel to such and such a city, and spend a year there, and do business, and make a profit. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring, what your life will be, for you're like a vapor that appears for a little while and then vanishes. Instead, you should say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. But as it is, you boast in your arrogance, and all such boasting is evil. Sin, so it is sin to know the good and yet not to do it. You know, I did not have to reach far for illustrations for this week's message because we are living out that time, aren't we? If I would have told you on March the 1st that, hey, within a month, all of the churches in America are going to be shut down and the government is going to tell you that you can't go to church together, you'd have thought I was crazy. And I told you, hey, you know March Madness, that multi-million or billion dollar uh, college football thing, or college basketball thing that's going to happen in March? They're going to close it down. You'd say, no, they're not. People lose too much money over that. There's no way they'd shut that down. And then I'd tell you, you know what? Baseball season's not going to happen either. Baseball was supposed to start in just a, a, a couple weeks. But I told you, you know what? There's not going to be an opening day. There's not going to be Major League Baseball this year. You'd say, you are crazy, preacher. There's no way. But you know what? The truth is, you and I don't know what tomorrow holds. And just as we, on March the 1st, had no idea what April was going to look like, I'm afraid we really have no idea what July's going to look like. I saw a cartoon the other day with a guy with a long stick, and the, the door said July on it. He was standing back about 20 foot pushing that door open. Is we don't know what's coming in July, do we? We may think that we have things figured out. We may think that we can plan. But the bottom line is, as humans, we just don't know for sure. And so I want to, as we examine this text, I want to give you a couple practical ideas of how to manage expectations scripturally. The first overarching point is this. Admit that you're control is limited. So admit your limited control. 
You know, the truth is, I have some control over my life. There are some things that I can do. There are some things that I can do that will really make a mess out of my life. There's some choices I can make. There's some choices I can make that will make life better. But ultimately, my power and my control over my life is limited. Now, first of all, one of the reasons it's limited is because tomorrow is a mystery for us. We really don't know what tomorrow holds. We, a couple days ago, I remember listening to the weatherman, and the weatherman said, you know, we have a slight chance of rain this week. In fact, 10% tomorrow, 10% the next day. Next day, we had 1.7 inches at my house. Now, this, this is, these meteorologists spend their lifetime studying meteorology. They go to school for four years. They have computer models that have been developed and reprogrammed and tested time and time and time and time again so that they can do the very best at forecasting what's going to happen tomorrow just with the weather. And they never really know for sure. Sometimes they do pretty good. Sometimes they can put all of that data and all of that knowledge together and they can come up with a pretty good plan. Even last night I watched the weatherman who said, there's this you know, storm that's developing up here and it's going to move just north of us and we may catch the tail of that about 11 o'clock in the morning and you know, we may get a little sprinkle. And those of you that drove up at 1045 know that we got a little bit more than a sprinkle. The, the truth is, in reality, we can make an educated guess at what's going to happen tomorrow, but we really just don't know for sure. We cannot be 100% certain. The future, even tomorrow, is a mystery. And so imagine setting forth a plan and saying, well, next year, this is what I'm going to do next year, and this is how it's all going to work out, and this is how it's going to look. The truth is, if we don't know what tomorrow holds, we sure don't know for sure what next week, next month, next year holds. Back at the, toward the end of May, in our staff meetings, we were praying about how we were going to handle uh, our reopening and getting back to normal. I'll be real honest with you. As pastor, I'm ready for things to get back to normal. I'm glad that we can come and worship together as we are, but every other not being able to have growth groups together and all those kind of things, I'm ready to get back to normal. And so by the end of May, we thought, you know, things are looking pretty good. Businesses are reopening. Probably by July, we're going to get back to normal. Then this week, I'm hearing that the state of Texas is setting records for the percentage of hospital beds filled. Well, that's not a good sign right now. So my expectations at the end of May had to be changed drastically again. The bottom line is, you and I just don't know for sure what tomorrow holds. But God does. Underneath that as well, he says there in verse 14, is that you don't know what your life will be. See, that, that becomes a little bit more personal. It's not just we don't know what's going to be going on in the world out there. You don't know what's going to be happening in here. You're, you have no way to know for sure. Now, I believe with all of my, my heart, my understanding of Scripture, that if there is a cancer cell in my body right now, the Lord knows. He knows it, but I don't. Doctors might not be able to find it. But God knows, right? And, and so he knows what my life will be like. I don't. And so we have to, uh, it, it, with that understanding, we have to humble ourselves and simply admit that our control over our lives is limited. Now, I, I'm not saying that we have no control, because certainly I believe that God has given you and I 
some freedom to make decisions. There, there, there's a tension in Scripture between the sovereignty of God and, and human freedom, our ability to make choices. Now, ultimately, I believe this Scripture teaches, like many others, that God holds all of the cards. God holds all of the power and all the authority. So whatever freedom I have falls under his authority. But I do believe that God has assigned to human beings a level of freedom. And there's a lot of reasons I believe that. And I don't want to get into all of the, the doctrinal issues surrounding that today. Because ultimately what this message is about is that in the end, God holds all the cards. He knows. He's sovereign over history. And ultimately, he's sovereign over our lives. And so we have to admit then that, that we have limited control, which gives us an opportunity for three things. It gives us an opportunity for humility. If we admit that God is bigger than us and he holds the cards, then it creates a humble spirit in us. Second, it gives us an ability to face life realistically, to face reality. Because if, if we go into tomorrow thinking, hey, this is my plan and it's going to work out exactly like that, if that's how we're approaching things, we're going to be utterly disappointed. Reality will not always, in fact, more often than not, will not measure up to our expectations. One area where I got myself in trouble with this is uh, every once in a while, and I'm not a, a, a stock person of any means, I'm, I'm not into the financial markets and all that thing, except for twice now in my life when it looked like a no-brainer. Once was in 2009 when the stock market hit bottom. I do have enough sense to know that if you can buy when it's at the bottom and wait a little bit and sell when it goes up, you're better off. So it just makes sense to me. Now, I don't have time to spend a lot of time looking into it, so I had waited and waited, and the stock market just kept going up and up and up, well, until COVID hit. <laughs> week before COVID, the stock market hit bottom. I thought, you know what? Gas prices were about a dollar. And so gas and oil company stocks were bottoming out. Well, I know what happens eventually to oil prices, don't you? It's going to go back up. <laughs> it always does. And so I made the decision that I'm, okay, I bought a, a few stocks with a little bit of cash that I had put it in these oil companies. And, but here's where I get myself in trouble. What I'll do is I'll look at the history of that oil company and say, well, a couple years ago, that oil company was at $40 a share. Now, I'm buying it at two. Look at how much money I'm going to make. Well, realistically, just because it hit a high at that one point a few years ago does not mean it's going to get back there. People that have more sense than me will look at that, and they'll find what is a reasonable expectation for that stock in the future, not what its highest point ever was. But I tend to be an optimist, so I get all excited about what could happen. If we approach life realistically, recognizing that I don't have control and I don't know what's going to happen tomorrow, it, it humbles us to a point where we can be realistic with our expectations for tomorrow. One of the, the most important things I believe that, that is a part of marriage counseling, when I, marry, when I counsel young couples before they get married, is to try to help dispel some of the happily ever after myths. That once you say, I do, it's all over except for the glory and the bliss, right? Just like in the movies. I mean, I watch those Disney shows. Once they got up to the I do and they got married, then they just went off and they lived happily ever after, right? Well, we know that that's not true. But oftentimes we have preconceived ideas and unrealistic expectations 
that we need to learn to approach realistically. And the third thing there is it gives us clarity in setting our expectations. And then this kind of transfers into the next point. Because see, Scripture doesn't tell us not to make plans. Scripture tells us to make plans realistically. Make plans understanding that God is in control. And so you can plan what you're going to do tomorrow and next year. You can set goals and you can have aspirations and you can set plans. But you need to couch those in the humble spirit of, if the Lord wills, then we'll go here and we'll go there and we'll do this and we'll do that. So we have to humbly come to this position where we trust that God is in control. We have to learn to put our trust in the one who does have authority over the, the, the storms of life. We, the one who does have authority over creation. We have to put our trust in him. And once we do that, then we have a position from which we can begin to build plans and expectations for life. But if we don't root it in his will and in his direction, we're going to end up in a mess. We're going to end up with a lot of unmet expectations. So trust he who is in control. If you're trusting the one who is in control, then when things don't go your way, you're going to be all right. I love the passage that Matthew read from Job earlier. There's another great parallel passage or similar passage when Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego refused to bow down to the king. And so the king was going to throw them into the fiery furnace. And Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they, they stand before the king and they say, King, we worship and we serve a God who can deliver us from your fiery furnace. But even if he does not deliver us from the fiery furnace, we still are not going to bow down to you and false idols. We're going to serve and worship him. And so when we come with that heart that we understand that God is the sovereign authority, he's the one who created the world, he's the one who breathed life into us. And as I often say, you know, if, if, I don't know what tomorrow holds for me. I, I think that I'm probably going to get up tomorrow and come into the office and, and go to work. And, and I, I've got plans and I've got ideas, but I just don't know for sure. But God does, see. Because the Lord doesn't have to take my breath from me for me to not see tomorrow. He just doesn't have to give me my next breath. Because I believe every breath that we have, every gift, every hour, every moment is a gift from God. So we trust the one who is in control. Understand his power. He is the one who is the creator. He is the one who has the authority. He's the one who, who is in control. Avoid boasting about our plans. Well, that's really going to get us in trouble. When we start going around bragging about what we're going to do and what we're going to accomplish. Because you know the bottom line is there's nothing that I can do and I can accomplish in my own strength anyway. And you'd say, well, I'm pretty talented in this area, and I know I can do this. I don't need God. I can do this on my own. But where'd you get the talent from? Who gave you that ability to add those numbers? Who gave you that ability to, to lift th that weight? Who gives you that strength and that ability? God has. Every breath we have, every moment is a gift from God. And so ultimately, we're dependent upon him. So when we boast about what we're going to do and how we're going to do it, we have that selfish inward look. Scripture says it's evil. It is sin. And so we come to a place where we have to trust God's plan and not just our plans. And that's exactly what he's telling us here. 
Instead, verse 15, you say, if the Lord wills, we will live and we'll do this and that. Don't boast in your arrogance because all such boasting is evil. I want to take just a moment to do a quick comparison here. Now, I titled uh, th this third idea, uh, Arrogance Versus Reality. I, I could have titled it Arrogance Versus Humility because that's really the, the comparison. What, what's it look like to be humble is to be arrogant. But I titled it Reality on, on Purpose because the, the truth is God is the only one who is in control. That's the reality. The, I, I don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. I don't know what the reality is, but God does. And so, first, arrogance says, I'm in control of my life. Arrogance says that, that I have the, the human reasoning, the human power, the human understanding, and I'm in control, and I've got it all figured out. And, and, and we can get ourselves into a mess with our pride and our arrogance in every area of life. We can even get into a mess with, with our pride and arrogance in our theology, there's some people who think that they've got God all figured out. And because they've got God all figured out, they're going to tell you everything about how they've got God all figured out, and it has to be their way. I mentioned a theological struggle earlier. Uh, there, there's this tension in Scripture between the sovereignty of God and, and human freedom, the freedom that God has given human beings. There's a tension in Scripture. And there's some people who will tell you they've got it all figured out on either end of that spectrum, and it has to be a certain way. I would rather tell you, you know what, Scripture speaks of the sovereignty of God and Scripture speaks of human freedom, and I believe there's a tension there because I'm not smart enough to figure God out. If I was smart enough to have it all figured out, then that would put me in some position above God. I just don't. I believe that there is a tension, and I'm going to trust what God's Word says and walk in that tension. I believe that ultimately... History is in the hands of God. Ultimately, he's got a purpose and he's got a plan. And ultimately, God can and does allow evil things to happen. He ultimately is sovereign. And in his sovereignty and in his power and in his authority, sometimes he's, in some cases, he's given humans the ability to do stupid things. And I've done a lot of them. And it gets me in trouble. Arrogance is saying, I'm completely in control of my life. Humility says, God ultimately is in control. God ultimately holds all the cards. Arrogance, Scripture says, is evil. Arrogance and a prideful spirit is not just a bad idea. It's, just not, it's not just an unwise characteristic Scripture says arrogance is evil. Arrogance is sin. So when we arrogantly approach life saying, this is what I'm going to do, this is what I believe, this is how it has to be, and we come with an arrogant spirit, we're committing sin against God. Humility is just the opposite. Because humility recognizes, look, I'm not completely in control. I don't have tomorrow figured out, and I don't even know for sure what's going to happen in my life tomorrow, but there's a God who does, and I'm going to turn my eyes toward him, and I'm going to look to him in faith and trust him. And then finally, and this may be the, very, the, the most important thing of this entire text, our lives are completely in God's hands. 
The scripture says at the end of verse 14 there, you are like a vapor that appears for a little while and then vanishes. You know, I've heard the joke, and you've heard it too. It comes from my grandparents all the way back that there's only two certainties in life, death and taxes. Sometimes I'm unsure about taxes, all right? You know, tax time comes around. There's some people get more money back than what they paid in. It's just how it works in our nation. But what is certain is there's going to come a time when your life on this earth ends. When this body, Scripture says, is folded up as a tent. It doesn't matter if, if, you know, every once in a while I see these things come across my Facebook page or my social media, some celebrity's home in Hollywood that is, you know, 36,000 square feet with a pool and a bowling alley and and separate maid's quarters. And then, you know, you, you see all of that beauty. It doesn't matter how big that home is. You know, one thing I figured out a while back, I can only sit in one room and watch one TV at a time. I can only drive one car. So it doesn't matter how much wealth, how much power, how much we own, how much we can, we can save in our bank account. There's going to come a point when every one of us is going to fit in a little two-foot by six-foot hole. And that's if we don't get cremated. <laughs> then we're going to fit in a smaller place. Our lives in the, in the picture of eternity are short. In fact, Scripture says here they're like a vapor. They're like steam that comes up out of, out of the tea kettle and, and in a few moments is gone and you don't even see it anymore. Now, this is not to be depressing. This is just to face reality. In light of all that God's created, in light of the, the majesty of, of, of the universe, we're but a speck on a tiny planet in a big open space that God reigns over. He is so much bigger than we could ever imagine. I don't know if y'all saw it. I should have brought this picture with me. Uh, There was a picture from the Mars rover of Earth. At least they said that. NASA said that's what it was because you know what it was? It was like you took a pin and put a dot in that screen. It was a speck. All of this earth, all of these oceans, all of the mountains, all that we see, that we live on, that we enjoy is but a speck in our solar system. And our solar system is but a speck in this universe, in our galaxy. And our galaxy is a speck in the universe. We, we, are, we are infinitesimal. We are a vapor in comparison to a God who is so much bigger who's created us. And so it only makes sense for us to recognize that and humble ourselves before the mighty hand of God. And the reality is, you can plan for tomorrow. You can say, this is what I'm going to do with all of the, the, the machoism and all of the, 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 the strength and authority that you want to come up with, but unless God wills, it won't come to be. Jesus tells a parable in Luke chapter 12. He said, a rich man's land was very productive. And he thought to himself, what should I do since I don't have anywhere to store all of my crops? I'll do this, he said. I'll tear down my barns and build bigger ones and store all of my grain and my goods in there. Then I'll say to myself, you have many goods stored up for many years. Take it easy. Eat, drink, and enjoy yourself. We had a great plan for retirement, didn't he? 
He figured it out. He had such incredible income that he built bigger barns so he was going to be able to store enough crops, enough grain that was going to provide for him into the future. He wasn't going to have to work anymore. He was going to have his retirement paid for. It was settled. He was looking forward to the good life going forward. Jesus says, but God said to him, you fool, this very night your life is demanded of you. And the things you have prepared, whose will they be? See, I don't know that I have tomorrow on this earth. This tent's going to be folded up. One of these days, this, I'm going to take my last breath on this earth. I, it may be 30 years from now. It may be 50 years from now. Or it may be next week. I don't know. Because I don't know what tomorrow holds. I can't say for sure. So I'm going to put my trust in a God who is big enough to know. I'm going to invest my, my life, my heart in God's promises. His promises are this. If you will humble yourself before me, if you will trust me, you'll follow me. Then when you take your last breath on this earth, I'm going to receive you to myself. That where I am, there you may be also. God's promise to us is that regardless of what happens with the, the brevity of this life, if we'll put our faith and trust in him, the God who reigns, the God who owns it all, the God who is eternal, then he'll give us eternal life. So ultimately, there's one thing that I do believe with all of my heart. I believe that there's a God in heaven who is big enough and loves me enough that he has given me an opportunity for eternal life. And so though I don't know what tomorrow holds, I know what eternity holds for me because God has promised that. He has revealed that he's going to receive me into himself. Now, I don't know exactly what all it's going to be like. I don't know what those gates are going to look like. I don't know necessarily what the streets are going to look like. We have some images in Scripture of what, what heaven and our future is going to look like. But I think all of those are images. I think what God has planned for those who love him is far greater than any of those things. And so we have to come to a point where we recognize humbly that I can't control my own future. I can't, I can't give myself eternal life. I don't even know for sure what tomorrow holds. But there's a God who does. And so I'm going to put my faith and my trust in that God. This life is like a vapor, and I don't know how much longer I have. But God is offering me something that's lasting and that's eternal. And I'm going to put my trust in him.